Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, my friends, I want to let you all know that my very first book, The Path of an Eagle, How to Overcome and Lead, after being knocked down, is now available for pre-order. I'll make sure the link is available in the show notes below. All right, my friends, let's do the show. There is a story for everyone here because every story matters. Welcome, everyone, to the Storybooks. This is the place to be if you are a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, and if you want to grow abundantly. My name is Jay Phantom, and I believe it's my purpose to help you realize your worth and become the greatest and best version of you possible. I am grateful that you're here today. Now let's journey into the story box together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. I am a big advocate for exercise and the reason for this is the myriad of health benefits that do come as a result of daily exercise. Could be 30 minutes, could be an hour, could be you guys going to the off to the gym. I know many of my friends do that. I myself wake up very, very early. You've probably heard me talk about it before, but there's specific reasons why I get up so early and why I exercise every single day. And that is to combat a lot of negative areas that have caused me pain in the past that to stem and to calm my anxiety, to uh, clear out any sort of negative, depressive kind of mindsets that I might have. Uh, or thoughts, those sort of things, those kinds of patterns. It's helped me sleep better that night to bring out my creativity. It's to do all these things. And my guest today is Dr. Jennifer Heise. She's an expert in brain health. She's also the associate professor in the department of, let me get this right, kinesiology. There we go. I got it right this time at McMaster University, which is ranked top 25 in the world. And she directs the NeuroFit Lab, which has attracted over 1 million to support her research program on the effects of exercise for brain health. Now, if you are a doctor or if you are a professor, that sort of thing, you'll know that it's not easy to generate over $1 million in supporting uh, tenure or any ideas such as this. So Jennifer has done an amazing job. But Dr. Jennifer received her PhD in cognitive neuroscience at McMaster and completed a postdoctoral fellowship in brain health and aging at the Rotman, Univer- Rotman Research Institute at Baycrest Hospital in Toronto. Dr. Jennifer Re- Dr. Jennifer's research examines the effects of physical activity on the brain function to promote mental health and cognition in young adults, older adults, and individuals with Alzheimer's disease. She has a brilliant brand new book out called Move the Body, Heal the Mind, Overcome Anxiety, Depression, and Dementia, and Improve Focus, Creativity, and Sleep. 
So this book really goes to show you just how powerful exercise is really for our mind's sake and for our body's sake. You know, the old adage that if you don't move, you feel a lot weaker, you feel like something isn't right. And I just honestly, I feel lazy if I'm not moving at least for an hour every single day, like doing some sort of strenuous exercise. But Dr. Jennifer's new book, she shares paradigm shifting research on how exercise affects the brain, finding that intervals of intense workouts or even leisurely walks help stop depression and dementia, which I have found in my own life. It lessens anxiety and ADHD and encourages better sleep, creativity, and resilience, believe it or not. Physical inactivity is the greatest risk factor contributing to dementia and anxiety. We have uh, nobody really talks about this, but the epidemic of obesity in society and the complications and the problems that come as a result of being obese or really overweight. Uh, but it's much of a of a, a risk factor for people to not exercise than it is for them to actually exercise. It's as much a factor as genetics as well. In addition, exercise's anti-inflammatory properties make it the most effective treatment strategy for those who are depressed and don't respond to antidepressants, which, to be honest with you, I'd much rather exercise and hopefully that can help combat um, combat any sort of depressive states than taking drugs. I think drugs should be the very, very last resort uh, when it comes down to dealing with mental health issues. So my friends, I hope that you go and get a copy of Dr. Jennifer's new book, Move the Body, Heal the Mind, Overcome Anxiety, Depression and Dementia and Improve Focus, Creativity and sleep it is available wherever books are sold i'll make sure the link for that is in the show notes below help support her and her incredible work and mission um, and this is really one of those informative conversations that i think many of you are going to love i know i certainly did i learned so much from this conversation so uh, also don't forget to leave a rating and review over on apple Podcasts as well don't forget to subscribe before you leave and as well my very first book, The Path of an Eagle, How to Overcome and Lead After Being Knocked Down is now available for pre-order. Link will be in the show notes below too. All right, my friends, that is enough from me. I think I've spoken far too long for this one, uh, but you know what time it is. It's time to journey with me into the story box as we listen to the incredible wisdom, the advice, and the stories of none other than Dr. Jennifer Hyes. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for being here and being very flexible with your time. Really do appreciate you and your work and very excited to dive further into it in just a moment. Exercise. I love exercising. I think it is the, the most beneficial thing on the face of the earth aside from food. Uh, and I, when I found out about your work, I'm like, 100%, yes, let's dive in. <laughs> this is going to be a, a very interesting conversation uh, my very first question for you, though, Jennifer, is a question that I love starting off all my conversations with, which is, what does success look like for you? Hmm. What does success look like for me? Hmm. I guess achieving the goals that we set out to achieve. I guess that's 
That's how I see success. And everybody has their own unique personal goals um, that they set out to achieve, whether that involves exercising and incorporating exercise into your life or, you know, trying to qualify for a world championship event. Um, yeah, success can have various levels of, of intensity involved in it. Um, but yeah, setting out goals that, that maybe push us outside of our comfort zone and then achieving those. Uh, yeah. Good question. I, I mean, I haven't really formally defined success before. (laughs) It's a perfect way to dive right in, right? Like it, I I love doing that. (laughs) You you mentioned goals, like what are some of your goals and do you, Mm -hmm. on average, you normally tick them off? Like, are you very good at ticking them off? Yeah, I've, I have been very goal oriented. So, uh, the book was a major goal for me. Um, and I did have some goals around exercise. So I recently started into triathlon. So that was around 2017. I, I started into the sport and, a goal became to do the longest triathlon race, which is an Ironman. And so I set that as a goal and um, much to my surprise, I was able to accomplish it. So yeah, I like to, I definitely like to set goals and, you know, strive for them. Even if I think they're outside of my capability, like the Ironman. (laughs) These are consistent goals that you set for yourself every single day or they just the one-off ones? Well, I guess, um, to be totally honest, I have had sort of really large goals since I was around 20, you know, so in undergrad and when I was in college or university, I basically was, you know, had a goal of becoming a professor. And so that was a very long goal, took a lot of work and time. And then the goal of getting tenure and then the goal of writing a book and doing this. So they've been very lofty goals. And actually at the moment, I'm a bit lost for goals. (laughs) I mean, I I have like, you know, I will achieve these things and definitely a task list, a to-do list um, that I, that I aim for every day. But um, my typical lofty goals are, I don't really have one right now, which, you know, I'm, I'm just waiting for something to pique my interest. I guess this is a question I would normally ask at the end, but I wanted to ask you this now, like out of curiosity, do you have like something that is big enough, like a big goal that you want to sort of strive towards at the moment or is there nothing, nothing you've thought of? Well, the book was such, um, it was such a big goal for me. It took all of my time and effort. I poured my whole heart and soul into it. And I mean, partly because it's not just a research book, like, yeah, I do research on exercise in the brain in my neurofit lab, but it's all, it was so personal and it was, it was a, like the first time I had ever been open about my struggles with mental health issues and very candid about that. Uh, so that, you know, that took a lot out of me emotionally and then describing how exercise was able, I was able to use exercise to heal my own mind. And yeah, so I, and now, you know, it's been the book has received such great interest from many different people. So I've been focusing on getting the message out 
um, getting the book into people's hands who it will help the most. Um, and yeah, spreading the message around the benefits of exercise for the mind and the brain um, that people may not realize. I know firsthand what it's like to write a book and you write. It's not an easy thing to do. It is downright painful and <laughs> we continue to do it. And <laughs> we like question ourselves, why are we doing this? But your book in particular, you mentioned that you did get vulnerable in, in the book as well as provide a lot of scientific research back evidence to prove that exercise does benefit our overall health and it can help uh, our mental health as well. And I've noticed that in my own life, which is a major part of why I exercise. Mm -hmm. And I'm grateful for that. I mean, if I didn't exercise, it'd be a world of problems. <laughs> mm -hmm. Let's say that. But um, I'm curious, like, what got you interested in the first place with exercise? Have you always been a, a relatively active individual? Mm -hmm. No. <laughs> in, in fact, you know, I was quite overweight when I was a kid. I struggled to find sports that I could do well. Uh, and so I really wasn't very active until I was in my 20s. And it was I was in grad school. I was studying the effects of um, the brain, you know, studying the, the brain, sort of the fundamentals of the brain. So how does the brain represent memories and who we are? And it became very clear to me that something wasn't right with my own brain. So the stress of graduate school had brought on this severe anxiety in me, you know, negative thoughts, intrusive thoughts. And I had no idea what to do. So I went to the school physician and they offered an antidepressant and I just wasn't, I was very reluctant to take it. So fortunately and surprisingly, I borrowed my friend's rusty old road bike and I was amazed that those bike rides really soothed my mind. And it, it not only shifted my perspective on exercise, so it became like you know, my medicine, my go-to to help me uh, in my personal life, but it also shifted my professional life. So I started studying the effects of exercise on the brain um, rather than just the fundamentals of neuroscience. And that's uh, what, what inspired me to open my NeuroFit lab. And what goes, what exactly goes on when someone I guess starts exercising, what goes on in the brain? What's happening to those neurons? Mm -hmm. Well, there's a lot of really amazing things that happens happen to the brain when we exercise and we don't even need to move that much, which is really a nice message, I think, for a lot of people. So when we sit for long period of, periods of time, which we've been doing a lot lately, um, this really starves the brain of the vital nutrients it needs to thrive. So blood oxygenated flow decreases. And so Every 30 minutes, research shows that take a two minute movement break. And this short movement break is enough to replenish the blood flow to the brain that you've sort of lost from sitting for so long. So oxygenated blood flows one, epinephrine or adrenaline, norepinephrine, noradrenaline. This is uh, something that stimulates the prefrontal cortex. It helps us to focus and uh, prevents us from mind wandering or daydreaming. And research from my lab shows that just a five minute exercise break is enough to keep you on task for an hour. 10 minutes of self-paced walk is enough to boost creativity 
which is a pretty awesome, especially for us writers, right? <laughs> you need those creative ideas flowing. And the way that works is really interesting because the brain works in networks. And one of the networks that the prefrontal cortex, the front part of our brain mediates is that focus. And that's the inhibitory control. So that's one network. But then there's a slightly different network or network switching that has to take place for creativity. And so in order to engage that part of the network, we need to change what we're doing. We need to sort of essentially cross train the brain. So we can do this with exercise. We can do this with a self-paced walk. We can do this with resistance training, something that's different from what we're doing now. And it's that variety that helps the brain switch back and forth between tasks and gives us sort of the ability to think outside the box, which we need to be creative. So there's so many, there's so many amazing things that increases growth factors in the brain that, that actually birth, help birth support new brain cells in, especially in a brain region called the hippocampus, which is needed for learning and memory. Um, so brand new brain cells supported by uh, the growth factors stimulated with exercise. It also helps stimulate resiliency factors like neuropeptide Y, which help protect the brain from trauma. So there's so many incredible things that exercise does to to really give the brain the nutrients it needs to thrive. Is this uh, intensive exercise like uh, a long run lifting heavy weights or is it more like uh, an easy walk or lifting barely any heavy objects? <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, so some, some aspects um, require hard work. So that's like the endorphins we're familiar with, you know, the runner's high, that long, hard run is needed to get the endorphins flowing because essentially the endorphins are the body's natural painkiller. And so when the body starts to ache from working hard, it releases the endorphins that help soothe our aching muscles, but also give us that rewarding feeling. Um, but a lot of these benefits can be felt with just light to moderate exercise, the resiliency factor, the boost in oxygenated blood flow, the change in, you know, creativity network, the mental flexibility, all of those can be felt with just very light to moderate movements. So for someone like myself that exercises pretty much every single morning, I go for, say, depending on how I'm feeling that day, maybe a 48 to kind of fluctuates between 48 to about an hour's run and mm -hmm. then I'll do like a 40, 45 minute CrossFit style body weight workout sort of thing. I notice that some days are better than others and I'm curious why is mm -hmm. that the case? <laughs> yeah, so in terms of how you feel, is this yeah. what you mean? Or yeah, so um, probably has to do with your what's going on in your life. And
and and what why I say that is because we only have one stress system for all stressors in our life. So exercise is a stressor. And wow, you're doing some pretty intensive exercise, right? Especially compared to a lot of people. So that's a pretty intensive regi- regime. And then if you add, you're adding that exercise stress on top of stress that's happening in your life, like say you didn't sleep well, or you have a deadline at work, or you have, you know, you've had an argument with a friend, you're adding on to that baseline level stress, your exercise stress, um, and you may not be able to tolerate as much. And so stress inherently is really good for us. Like an acute amount helps us to adapt and grow into the stronger version of ourselves. But we can go too far. Like too much stress actually does the opposite. It weakens our body and it can cause, you know, disease, mental illness, for example, and it can make us feel bad. A lot of people find that, especially during times like these, like the pandemic stress, the uncertainty of the situation, the change in life as usual has caused a lot of people to feel a a lot more psychological stress in their life. And for me, at the very beginning of the pandemic, I was training for an Ironman. And like you, I had been, you know, I was fit. I was in the best shape of my life. I was exercising regularly in end intensely but the pandemic hit and I felt I would have almost have a panic attack during my run because I wasn't able to tolerate the same level of exercise stress as I was before the pandemic because of the situational stress yeah so I'm I'm guessing that's probably what's happening for you is that you know maybe you've you've kind of pushed it so we have like allostasis, which is like good stress. And then we have allostatic load, which sort of tips the balance, just tips the balance to the point where it's actually better to probably have a rest day. Right. Okay. That makes a lot of sense now because yeah, I do notice that like some mornings I feel, I start off feeling great. And then when Mm -hmm. I get like maybe midway during my run, I'm like, well, this sucks. Why (laughs) is this sucking? And then when I when I finish it and I complete it, like I always push myself like to actually finish and I'll feel a lot better after I finished it. It's just during mm-hmm. that actual process of me working out those muscles that I'm not at my, my optimal self, like my peak self. And I always thought it was how much food intake that I got the, the day before, like helping out. But it's interesting how you mentioned stress because mm-hmm. yeah, that, that makes actually a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's cool. Like a brain region called the insula, it it's keeping track of all of this stuff. Like even if you haven't eaten enough during the day, it's keeping track because that's a stressor too, right? So all of these like physiological stressors in what we're eating and how we're exercising, but also the psychological stressors like what's happening in life, it's all adding together to affect the same system. So it's It's all going to come back to impact us. And so we might not be able to perform as well as we expect to during exercise some days. And I think that, you know, we need to really take a compassionate approach to that and be like, that's okay. I'm getting it done. And at the end of the workout, I'm going to feel good. Guaranteed, right? (laughs) Guaranteed. How does age play a factor in this or does it? 
Mm-hmm. Well, um, exercise is extremely beneficial across the lifespan from children all the way to older adults. Um, in children, it can be really beneficial at uh, promoting sleep, for example, promoting learning uh, and creativity, as I mentioned. Um, students who struggle to focus and pay attention, they can benefit a lot from daily exercise, which is really nice. And then as we, you know, as we increase in age, exercise becomes really important for helping deal with life stressors. So it's extremely beneficial at reducing uh, stress and anxiety levels. So every single workout has the potential to reduce anxiety. Um, And especially during transition times. So that's happening, you know, a lot of changes happen during adolescence and early adulthood and exercise can help us like ease through those life changes. And then as we get older, it can help prevent things like dementia, um, which is, you know, a lot of people are really afraid of and want to prevent that. And so, um, yeah, exercise can help prevent that too. Exercise preventing dementia, which I, I think is a wonderful thing. And if people are listening to this and they don't want to get dementia, the prevention is always the key, right? Not yeah. so exercise. Is that okay for you? Like that's what's going on, like the stimulation within the brain, all those things that you're talking about is keeping the brain healthy enough so that it doesn't uh, get unhealthy to cause the symptoms of dementia or even cause dementia from actually happening in one's life. Mm-hmm. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. So um, in the book, I talk a lot about there's sort of two approaches here. So the first is when the body is not healthy, the brain is not healthy. So, for example, high blood pressure, there's only like really three degrees of freedom between having high blood pressure and dementia risk. So high blood pressure, which can can be caused by sedentary lifestyle, right? Not moving enough. It weakens the blood vessels that feed the brain, that starves the brain, and then can start to damage the brain and its its uh, vessels so that it's not working as well. And that can lead to dementia. But exercise can be really beneficial. And uh, research from my lab shows that um, when we look at dementia risk and compare genetics versus physical inactivity, they, they both contribute to dementia risk similarly. So physical inactivity contributes to dementia risk as much as genetics, which a lot of people don't realize and is pretty amazing. So you can't change your genes, but you can change your lifestyle. And then when you want to change your lifestyle, when you're ready, the way to do it is, you know, through walking, we've talked about walking, but there's a special way of walking that seems to be especially beneficial for preventing dementia. And this is interval walking. And what is that? Well, it's essentially regular walking, but every now and then you're picking up the pace. Okay. So you're picking up the pace between light posts. You're adding in a few hills to your route. Essentially, you're, you know, increasing the intensity a little bit of your walk to the point where it's a little bit difficult to have a conversation. And so why is this so beneficial? Well, it seems to suggest that, you know, when we're when we're exercising, walking intermittently, like walking vigorously, we we can accumulate accumulate lactate, which 
Most people associate lactate or lactic acid with the burning sensation in the muscles. And a lot of people are like, oh, I got to get rid of that. You know, it's bad. But it turns out that lactate may be one of the most powerful promoters of neurogenesis, which is the birth of newborn brain cells. So the lactate moves from the muscles through the blood to the brain, and it releases growth factors there to promote um, and help support the functioning of new brain cells. And research from my lab shows that interval walking in particular is better than regular walking at boosting memory in older adults. Wow. Who would have mm. thought that pain actually is beneficial? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little, a little, a little uh, comfortably challenging is how I, how I like to say. But obviously, Always check with a healthcare provider if you're starting a new exercise program, right? <laughs> yeah, I remember when I first started doing CrossFit, the, the amount of my my first workout that I ever did was Murph, which was like this ungodly <laughs> set of exercises. And the amount of lactic acid that built up within my muscles and my I just felt like I was dying. But then after afterwards, like I completed it and the lactic acid just dropped, I was like on top of the world. I'm like, I feel so much better. Like this is, this is awesome. But actually getting to that stage of completion during mm -hmm. the lactic acid buildup, that's the key. Like that's the hard part. Mm -hmm. And I think once people can do that, they feel 10 times better as, as a result. And now we've got science telling you that it can reduce the effects of Alzheimer's and, and dementia and increase your your levels of overall health, which I think is absolutely fantastic. I'm definitely not for a sedentary lifestyle. I mean, I bought a stand-up desk. I've got movement happening all over the place. So I'm, I'm very much an active individual. But um, I'm curious, like you, you also speak about uh, the mental health side of things, about depression and anxiety and all those sort of things. And you do open up about some of that, I believe you mentioned in your book, would you be able to share more about that and your experience with exercise and, and healing your mental health? Yeah, sure. So um, like, like I mentioned, the research shows exercise can be really beneficial during times of transition. So for me, my mental health always became really challenging during these times of transition. So the first was in graduate school when the stress of studies and, you know, intense pressure of competing and performing really started to cause severe anxiety in, in me. And that's when I discovered that rusty old road bike and learned that bike rides could really soothe my mind. Um, the second time was after I had my baby uh, during postpartum, um, a lot of people experience postpartum depression, but for me, it was a little bit different. It was much more, um, it was like OCD. So what, what a lot of people, um, may not realize is like OCD sort of looks a lot like anxiety, but it's like intrusive thinking, intrusive thoughts, very, it's very stressful, very, um, anxiety provoking. And so, um, that happened postpartum and I was able to couple my exercise, light exercise, which is what I could do at the time with, um, cognitive behavioral therapy. So kind of combining the, the psychotherapy with the movement and research shows that the two are additive and beneficial. 
And then the book really tracks my um, my entry into triathlon at a tr- a, my final transition point so far, at least was unfortunately my marriage broke down. And so um, as I was trying to rebuild my confidence and, you know, strength mentally and physically, I started this new sport of triathlon and wow, did it ever give me a huge boost. Um, the first boost was like winning or at least coming in second place for the try a try my very first triathlon, which, you know, I mean, is a low key try a try. It's not, not that long, but it really motivated me to stick with it. And I ended up qualifying for the world championship um, in the half Ironman, which is actually in your part of the world, it'll be in New oh. Zealand in 2024. So I'll be coming there, <laughs> but the uh, <laughs> just across the bay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I, I've personally found that exercise has been extremely beneficial during these difficult times of transition when my mental health sort of flared up and, um, but the, I think the, the real message is certainly you don't have to do triathlon, <laughs> um, but, and, and, and every step counts a little bit of movement goes a long way. And I know when people are struggling with mental health and mental health issues, like depression or anxiety, it can be difficult to be motivated. And in fact, right at the beginning of the pandemic, my lab conducted a survey of over 1600 people and found, you know, people shifted why they wanted to work out. So it wasn't so much about looking good anymore, right? It was about feeling good, but there was this paradox, like they wanted to work out to support their mental health, but their mental health was getting in the way. So they, you know, they lacked the, the motivation to do so, which is a symptom of depression and they felt anxious to do so. And so I think when we, when we, talk about using exercise to help manage symptoms of mental health, whether they're depression or anxiety or OCD, we need to really reframe it differently. It it needs to be a very compassionate approach where our mantra is some is better than none. And, you know, it's okay if we don't, you know, perform our best every day or even achieve what we set out to. I, I like to have this like mental health mode of exercise where, you know, let's say, you know, today I was supposed to do a 30 minute run, but I wasn't feeling that good. So I'll do the time, but I'll take off the intensity. So I'll negotiate with myself and I'll put in the time, which was 30 minutes, but I'll do a walk instead. And so it's, it's more about consistently moving. And the research shows, especially with depression, um, it's less about intensity of the exercise and more about duration. And just 10 minutes is enough to boost mood. And you get that benefit even more the longer you walk, for example. And you also get the antidepressant effects with resistance training. But there, actually, intensity does matter. So the, the heavier you lift, the bigger the, the boost you get in mood. Well, first of all, thank you for sharing. I know it's never an easy thing to share. And I, I'm sorry to hear that the marriage broke down and you had to go through all these things, but I'm also thankful that you did find exercise. And for those people that are like freaking out, like doing an ultra or a marathon, I mean, <laughs> Jennifer's probably a, a further ahead with that than I am. <laughs> and I mean, yes, yes, I run a lot, but I don't do ultras. I don't do 
uh, triathlons. I don't do any of that sort of stuff. I mean, I do want to do a marathon one of these days, but I don't know when that's going to be. Maybe further. Me and me and my friend have, have been talking about it. He's he's like running thirty kilometers every day or something like that. Oh wow! He's he's getting up there. <laughs> uh, whereas me, nah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I just appreciate you sharing all that, uh, Jennifer. And, and for those people that are wondering, like, can I get addicted to exercise if I'm worried, if I am a person that does struggle with addiction and Mm -hmm. I am that person. And I do want to also say that at one point in my life, I did get addicted to exercise because it kind of, it drew me away from those other addictions that I was suffering with. And I didn't see the this other addiction, which was exercise come into fruition. So mm-hmm. first people that are wondering, can you like, is it easy to get addicted to exercise? It's not easy to get addicted to exercise actually. And, and partly because exercising is hard to do and the brain actually prevents you from doing it um, too much it sends down pain, right? That's like the first indicator that you're overtraining pain, there's stress, there's fatigue to the point that you actually can't many, you know, it, it takes a lot of effort to overtrain. It's very different than like a drug of abuse, for example. And in, in the book, I talk about how exercise actually does help a lot of people um, who have struggled with addictions to recover. And the way it does that is by helping to replenish and restore the reward system. So when we abuse drugs, uh, um, drugs, they basically hijack the brain. They hijack the reward system. And unlike naturally rewarding things like food, sex, and close ties with others, Drugs of abuse have supernatural levels of dopamine that they release, and that's too much for the brain. The brain can't tolerate that. It was never designed to do that. And so what it does is it essentially like locks down, like it seizes, it it strips away the receptors as a defense against this too much dopamine. And when dopamine can't bind to its receptors, it can't stimulate that rewarding sensation, uh, that feel good which leads to tolerance and, you know, other compulsive to use drugs, et cetera. When, when an individual decides to stop using drugs, what happens is that the, the reward system gradually starts to reopen, replenish the dopamine receptors. Um, and exercising helps to speed that up. It speeds up the opening so that the brain heals faster, which is really amazing. Um, and, in your case, it sounds like maybe you replaced one addiction with the other. Um, but but I think that, you know, well, the research shows it's actually pretty rare. So less than 3% of the general population are addicted to exercise and less than 5% of even athletes are addicted to exercise. So I think it's important to keep in mind, like, what does it mean to be addicted, you know? just because you enjoy doing something and you do it often doesn't necessarily mean you're addicted. So like when I was training for this Ironman, I was training 25 hours a week. You know, it was, that's a lot. And, you know, from my, my mom's perspective, you know, having never been really an athlete looking at me now, she was like, 
are you okay? Are you addicted? But I was following a very regimented schedule. I wasn't going beyond that. I was working with a coach who was guiding me. And so if there's no harm to either yourself or to others, then there's likely no addiction. And I think that maybe that's an important, just like a simple thing to just check, you know, and be honest with yourself. If there's, if you're, if you're working out to the point that you're hurting yourself, like physically or emotionally, or you're, you know, it's, it's causing disruption throughout the rest of your life, then maybe it is an addiction. Um, other times people can have exercise addictions that are linked up with sort of eating disorders or disordered eating and it becomes a form of punishment but that's that's not a pure addiction per se um so that's another important thing that uh, to keep keep an eye on yeah so that all makes total sense like i have this tendency to go to the extreme for a lot of things and the the addictions that i had prior to this one they were pretty significant like they were hurting me and I didn't even know they were hurting me and they were actually causing a lot of problems in my life. Um, like I had a massive addiction to, to porn to start off with. And then that bred into me starting exercising. And then I realized that because like this was like decreasing my sex drive because I was exercising too much mm. then made me feel a lot better because I got rid of, I thought I got rid of one addiction, but then I didn't notice the other addiction that was coming into its place, which was the exercise, which was, it was like a filler, if that makes sense. Mm. And then that filler was like causing me even more pain because I started losing more weight. I didn't care that I was losing weight. Then came the eating disorders as a result of mm. the extreme to exercise. Right. So uh, my, my viewpoints towards food was, uh, very negative. Like I would hardly eat anything. I'd be very mm. restrictive. I'd only eat like a particular, like maybe my diet was five or six different food groups, chicken, um, one kilo bag of spinach every day, cheese sauce. Like it was very, it was disgusting mm. <laughs> is what it was. Uh, and then everything just all came to a crashing halt. Like I, it got to the point where I ended up at, uh, in hospital for nine mm. days, two hospital trips. And then after that, I ended up with the repercussions of going to the extreme with those things. And I didn't realize that, that my addictions had hurt my family, all that stuff, more than just mm. myself. Like I was being selfish. Uh, and then, you know, like those eating disorders, they never go away. They always stay with you. They're like these little inner, inner demons. And because you mm. have an addiction, prior to like yeah like that addiction stays stays with you like it might be like this uh subtle friend <laughs> that, go, mm -hmm. that just comes up every now and again so that's what i've got to be mindful of uh and i i guess i'm using exercise as a way to combat my exercise addiction if that makes sense at all like i just use it and i'm not going over and above anymore like mm -hmm. i'm very very grounded very mindful that this could put me in the ground if I go too far. So mm -hmm. I guess it's just being aware, being conscious, and then having the the knowledge behind you to not go too far uh, and, and not make it 
but you're right. Like it is very rare and I, I do tend to do things. I'm a phantom. I, I do things abnormal. <laughs> That's just the fandom. Yeah. Way I, <laughs> I mean, it's like, you know, on one hand, it's sort of your superpower, right? It's yeah. like you go hard in, in you're overzealous in everything you do, you know, which has probably allowed you to accomplish a lot of amazing things and, um, learning how to hone that is something that just, it comes with experience and it sounds like you're right on track, you know, and maybe it, it does make sense to work with a coach who can keep you in line. You know what I mean? Like, that's, that's what I find. And I, I feel that way about my own self, you know, like, um, mine i i also have this sort of overzealous i go all in um and i do find that having like a coach or a therapist or someone just to like check in with to make sure that um you know the the thinking is is on point is is helpful rather than harmful that the activity is helpful rather than harmful and i think that's really what we need to really be focusing on is like self-care and you know self-compassion when we're approaching life even if we have big goals like you know we can have big goals and we can be dedicated to those goals but also making sure we have time to take care of ourselves and be uh, you know there for our family and friends uh wonderful balancing act isn't it like mm-hmm. trying to keep life as balanced as possible like the pendulum swim swing mm-hmm. um yeah we're not going too far this way not going too far that way but if you do like just be be mindful and you can always come back to the present moment or the the middle so to speak mm-hmm. yeah want. it's yeah it's funny i find like work-life balance, for example, is almost impossible, right? And this idea that like life comes in waves and you just have to kind of keep the waves sort of, you know, the difference between the the bow and the trough, like less, you know, than like you don't want the big undulations, you want sort of a ripple and trying to ride that ripple of a wave. Um, sometimes you'll be more into one thing than another, but uh, it'll, it'll sort of all sort of even out at the end. I think that's sort of the goal. They say the wave, right? I, I, I use the analogy of a roller coaster ride, like uh-huh. you, you know, you've got the <laughs> steep slopes, the, the quick turns, uh, jagged edges, those sorts of mm-hmm. things. But I also say like, strap yourself in cause it's going to be one heck of a bumpy ride. <laughs> that, that's, that's also okay. Like yeah. it's like the surfer that rides the wave. I mean, all surfers fall off eventually. Like it's fine. Even the most professional Kelly Slater, how many times has he fallen off a wave? Mm -hmm. Like it's fine. It's life. (laughs) Well, and, and if you're, you know, part of, part of living a full life is challenging yourself and pushing yourself outside your comfort zone to the point that you might fail. Mm. And that's okay. That's the point, you know, to, uh, you really test your boundaries because you might surprise yourself. They might be far greater than you, you even imagined. You won't know unless you give it a go. That's right. Yeah. (laughs) But Jennifer, I want people to get a copy of your book. I got a couple Mm -hmm. more questions for you, if that's all right with you. They're they're short questions, I promise. Uh, But where do you want people to get a copy of your book right now? And what do you hope the most for people to get out of this book when they read it? Mm -hmm. So you can get a copy of my book anywhere books are sold. So um, I have a website, Jennifer Heiss, H-E-I-S-Z 
com, And that has links to where you can buy the book, but also the backstory and some videos of my Ironman uh, event you can check out, which is kind of fun. Um, and when I think about what I want the book to mean or what I want the main message of the book to be is really to let people know that they're not alone. I think mental illness can be such a, it's a, it can be a lonely struggle. And for me, it was a big secret for many years. Um, and I just want people to know that they're not alone, that, um, there are people who are successful that's, that have struggled and learned to live with and manage their mental health. And, um, and we need to really break down that stigma that that's associated with it. And so the whole book is really about doing that and it, talking about the biological basis of mental illness and how exercise changes that biological basis to make us feel better. Um, and so it really tries to equate it to like a physical disease, you know, why do we think of it as something different? You know, they really are it's emerging from a disordered brain which is a physical structure which is um, no different than a, a disease of the body right well i for one cannot wait to get my hands on a physical copy and i think sort of take a little bit longer these days thanks to the pandemic to get <laughs> to australia but i'm very excited to hold one in my hands and actually read it and share it with everyone I'll make sure everyone knows where to get a copy of it. Links will be in the show notes below for people. But Jennifer, my second final question for you is what do you love the most about yourself and your story? Hmm. I think I love the most about myself. Okay, let's do this. Um, <laughs> probably my honesty. I think my... the the genuineness that I have um, and my ability to just see everybody at the same level and try to relate to people. And so I think I think that I really like that about myself um, because it it does allow me to to resonate with people. It allows the research we do, you know, even though I'm like a professor at a university, but I, you know, I, I can talk to people in a way that, um, I do understand because I've lived through it and I'm very open about that. You know, that I, I also struggle. I am a human being. <laughs> um, but I, I happen to just have all this knowledge that I am, I'm very generously ho hoping to share with as many people uh, who need it. So, yeah. So was that, that was the first part of your question? What was, was that it? Second part is what do you love the most about your story? What do I love about the most about my story? Uh, I think the ending, <laughs> the ending of my, you know, my book, you mean, or of, of my what own personal your, story. Your own personal story. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's just, uh, it, it really is unexpected. And uh, I, I think no matter how much we plan and think, you know, we've got it all figured out, there's always something that, that changes. And, uh, but it brings so many gifts. It opens so many new doors and so many possibilities that 
um, that send you on a new path and a new way of discovering more about who you are and more about, you know, what you can do to help create a better world. Thank you so much for sharing. I really do appreciate it. This is my final question for you. This is my all time favorite question. I love asking all my guests at the end. It is a hypothetical one, but I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you've been able to reach the age of 100. All your friends and your family have decided to put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Don't ask me how in the world they got it all. We'll call it magic for the sake of argument. They've been able to get it and show it to you on your 100th birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life? Uh, I wanted to show that I had a meaningful impact on the world and, you know, at the at the local level, like with my daughter, but also at the global level in terms of helping helping people that I have never even met um, live, you know, a better life. Uh, So, yeah. And, you know, what's actually funny is that there's there's evidence to suggest we actually do that at that like sort of on our deathbed we do this life review and so actually they suggest that you do it intermittently like throughout your life so once a year doing a life review of you know what what would they say about me this year and and then focusing your next year's goals on the the things that you really liked that happened so I, I do that, actually. So I, I, I do think a lot about this because it's important to me, you know, uh, to really make the too. best of my time. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. And I have heard of that research, which is mm-hmm. another reason why I started asking this question in that particular way. It's a little bit different, creative, I know, uh, but it, it gets you to really think of what kind of leader am mm-hmm. I being right now so that when I die, Will people remember me when they see, or when I get to a hundred, sorry, will they look back and see all those things that mm-hmm. I wanted to be and mm-hmm. did it come into fruition? So that's, I'm always thinking about that too. Like it, yeah. it's part of my, the forefront of my brain. <laughs> Most yeah. It's, I think it's important to think about the bigger picture, the legacy, because it's so easy to get caught up in all the little stressors of our life and get reactive to that. And that's where it becomes really damaging to our health. So, I mean, stress in and of itself is not bad. It's really is our reaction to it. And when we have this bigger why, this bigger picture, then we're better able to be resilient, even through times of stress. And um, and having exercise built into that really does help um, solidify and fortify that mind that mindset. Thank you so much, Jennifer, for your story, your wisdom, your advice, for writing this book, and for joining me today on the Storybox podcast. I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much for having me. I really don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guests today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. 
If you would like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on all podcast platforms. It is that easy. And if you did get something from today's guest, please do share it around with your friend or family member who you feel could benefit from hearing today's story. And before you go, I greatly appreciate it if you could spend 30 seconds leaving a rating review over on Apple Podcasts. It goes a long way to reaching more people and building this community of the Storybox. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one you heard today. Your support is always greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the story box, I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you then. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> <laughs> 